0: Um, so manifesto, um, today we'll kick this off and we'll begin in Matthew chapter 5 uh, with the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you have that with you, or um, then you can look that up as we go through this together. I don't know if you've read too many manifestos. Uh, I have to confess that I haven't uh, from cover to cover. But uh, I, I came across a few interesting manifestos. Um, uh, that I I thought I would share with you. I don't know if you ever heard of a party called the Eccentric Party, okay? A bona fide political party called the Eccentric Party. This is their leader, okay? He uh, he is called Lord Toby Jug, okay? And this is some of what is contained in their manifesto, so have a listen to this and see if you might vote for him or them. Uh, Vacuuming motorways twice daily to prevent irritating stone chips hitting your car, okay? Anyone good with that? Okay, we're not sure. Um, Compulsory hospital clown appointments, because laughter is the best medicine, apparently. Um, Making people read a book for every 10 selfies they take. I'm on board with that, so he's getting my vote. And prescribing eight hours of spare time, eight hours of rest, and eight hours of sleep every day by law. Okay, that's, that's what you would get. And this is, I don't know what this guy's name is, but he is the leader. I'm guessing he's the, possibly the only member of the monster-raving loony party. Okay, and he, at the last general election, campaigned to reduce the national debt by selling castles back to France. Okay, but then put in brackets, Bayer has to dismantle them. Um, taxpayers to receive nectar points from HMRC and to make unicorns a protected species. Okay, so there's uh, the monster raven loony party. And uh, there's another manifesto. It's not a political one, okay, but it's one that I came across many, many years ago, and I absolutely love I don't know if you've ever heard of Baz Lerman, okay, but his very famous manifesto called Wear Sunscreen, and I'm not going to go through it all, okay, I find it quite inspiring myself, but I thought I would le- read a little bit of it out. It says this, ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Never mind, you won't understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade it, but trust me, in 20 years, you'll look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You're not as fat as you imagine... Don't worry about the future or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubble gum. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. And I think he meant the teeth one. Um, And then a little bit towards the end, get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Don't mess too much with your hair or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. Be careful whose advice you buy, but trust me on the sunscreen. Um, I didn't try the accent, but I would look that up. It's fantastic. I love Baz Lerman. wear sunscreen or whatever it's called. Um, and as inspiring as these manifestos are, obviously we're not going to base our advice over the next uh, few weeks on that. Um, uh, but uh, over the next few weeks as a church, we're going to be journeying through Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, or certainly these chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 of, of Matthew's gospel. And we're going to think about the manifesto that Jesus gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to see his hopes, we're going to see Jesus' aspirations, So not Lord Toby Jugg's ones, but his Jesus plans, his inspirations, his aspirations, his instructions, his commands, and his pledges. And I think it's easy. There's a danger because the, the problem is that these are some of Jesus' most famous words. They're words that many of us will have heard before. We may even hear quoted, perhaps out of context at times, but we'll hear them quoted. And perhaps we can be so overly familiar with these words that actually we miss how truly countercultural these words were then and also how they are now. Um, I-, I wonder if you could look with me. Hold on. In fact, Connie, would you just flick a couple of slides until the Bible passage comes up? Keep going. That's it. Um, This is what we're going to think about today, and I read it earlier on, but I wondered if if it would just take a minute or two for you to read it yourself, okay? just where you're seated today. Um, So I want to take just a moment of quiet, and rather than me read it out, because sometimes I think when someone reads it from the front, we become passive and become consumers, and uh, and so I want you to read this actively, Uh, and then I'm going to ask you what strikes you and what challenges you, and we'll think about a couple of things together. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. I'm aware as I do that, that all of us read at different speeds and so it's difficult and also that some of us find silence is really, really awkward. Um, But I wonder what struck you or what challenges you as you read those words. And we're going to try and touch on as many of them as possible today. But here's two things just right off the bat. This isn't like the main talk, but just right off the bat, here's what I notice. How the passage begins. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Firstly, I noticed Jesus' posture. He sat down. He sat down to teach. You know, in a world that, you know, I'm standing in front of you today, you know, but in a world that so often puts, you know, elevates our thoughts. You know, to say, this is what you should think about. This is what you should believe. Or maybe in a world where people look down on others for not thinking the same way. Jesus, I notice his posture. He comes down on a level to the people. And he, he comes down right beside them. He stoops down to their level. He comes to eye level of his followers. And he sits among them. He sits among his people. Think about that. And he addresses them. He is above us. Okay, He was above the people. Who he was addressing. And yet he stooped to their level. He came close. And that's the whole story of the gospel. That's the whole story of this book. In a nutshell. Is that. We have a God who is above us, above his humanity, and yet he stepped down, he came near, and he took his place among his people. And so, right at the outset of his manifesto, Jesus does something with his even his posture or his body, it was more than his body language, with his actions. And in that moment, he's demonstrating what, you know, almost the whole of the gospel in that moment. He stepped down. He came near. He, he came among his people. And secondly, I notice his direction. I wonder if you noticed it. He, there was a crowd gathering. and a crowd wanted to be near him and yet he left the crowd. He walked away from the crowd to be with his disciples. And he calls his disciples to him and he begins to teach them. And some of you are thinking, well, th- was there not a whole big crowd in the Sermon on the Mount? There was. But primarily this teaching is given to Jesus' followers. And it just happens that there's a crowd nearby who want to hear, and they press in on the disciples, and they want to be near him. You know, I believe that what Jesus teaches is good news for all of humanity. I believe it's good news for the whole world. And so don't mishear me as I say this, but actually primarily Jesus' words are for those who choose to follow him. And so often I think there's a danger as we read Jesus' words or we read, you know, his challenges within church at times and we think of other people rather than ourselves. You know, we hear Jesus' challenge and we think, well, if only them out there, they could hear that. Or if only those group of people or that group of people, if only they could grasp that, then the world would be better. But actually, Jesus' teaching, first and foremost, is primarily directed towards his followers. To those of us who say, I'm in. I choose to follow you, Jesus. And so, in some ways, what Jesus is directing his challenge towards is the people who have said, I'm in. The chapter before, he has called some of them. He has called them, and he's named them as his disciples, and and they come near him. And so, there's two very quick um Uh, comments as we begin, posture and direction. And yes, that's just the first two verses of this passage, but that carries on throughout the whole of this manifesto. As you hear this at church over the next few weeks, Jesus is getting among his people, and his teaching is primarily for his followers first, and before it goes out to the rest of the world. So that's two quick comments, okay? And here are two more general comments, okay, about what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks. Um, the Beatitudes, as these words are known, okay, describe the ideal characteristic of a disciple in the present, but it also describes the coming rewards in the future. So so did you hear it as we read it together? It says, um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's the pattern that continues through this whole um, uh, kind of Uh, list of verses um, or this group of verses, these Beatitudes. There's, There's eight of them in the passage and basically at the start of it, Jesus is saying, here's your current situation and here's a promise for the future if you find yourself in it. And so there's now and there's not yet Okay, so that, that's, that's what the kind of makeup of these words are. And now, this is your circumstance now, and here's a not yet. Here's a future thing that for this group of people, you're going to experience. And for some of them, they might appear like a contradiction. Okay, but what Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture of what his kingdom should look like or one day will look like. In one day, in one sense, sorry, the kingdom Jesus was proclaiming can infiltrate our present circumstances and it can transform them. But just a chapter before, Jesus begins his public ministry by announcing the kingdom of God has come near, okay, or at hand. Jesus announced the kingdom's arrival and the kingdom of heaven had broken into the world through Jesus. It was here now. It was there now. Or then, sorry. And that's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is here now. But also through these words, he's saying that there's a bit of my kingdom that's not yet. You know, you will experience some of my kingdom now in part. But there's one day you'll experience it in full. And as we sit here, as we live actually, and throughout our lives, we live in this period of the kingdom of God. We live in the now And we live in the not yet. It might sound like a contradiction. But in the kingdom of God. It's true. We get to experience some of the blessings. And the realities of knowing him. We get to experience some of the joy. And the peace. And the comfort that a relationship with Jesus brings. We get to experience some of these things. That Jesus is saying. But also there's some of them. That are not yet. There may be. Now in part, but one day they will be in full. How on earth could someone who is in mourning be described as blessed? Okay. You're mourning. You're mourning. And yet Jesus comes along and says, blessed. You know, is that not patronizing? Is it not contradictory? Well, no. How could someone being persecuted be called blessed? How could that be? Well, two reasons. Firstly, because the word blessed does not mean happy here, okay? It means more than that. It's much deeper than just, you know, happy or smiley, shiny faces. It's actually better translated as to be enlarged, okay? And secondly, because those who are mourning might not feel happy now, but it's pointing to a comfort that one day they will receive. And that comfort will far surpass any comfort or joy that this world can offer. And so some people who are in mourning may experience some of God's comfort now. But that's only a glimmer and a glimpse of what one day, what comfort they will one day experience forever. Those who are being persecuted now might not feel very blessed as they experience persecution of character or reputation or physical or even with their lives. They might not feel blessed in those moments, but Jesus is saying, there's a a future. There's a future for you. And so while we might suffer now, for those of us who are, are here today, we might suffer now, we will discover reward in eternity, Jesus says. He can bring us comfort now, but we'll know true comfort in eternity. We might be persecuted now, but we'll know the benefits in heaven. Jesus calls us to join a radical kingdom, and he gives us a radical vision to match. He wants the kingdom of heaven to infiltrate our present. He wants that. So he wants, we we don't have to wait to heaven to experience joy or peace or some of these blessings. But there'll be a day, there'll be a day where we experience these in full. That's the hope of Jesus, that's the hope of the Savior. That's the hope of what we long for. So, this manifesto, these words that we're going to be thinking about for the next uh, few weeks, keep remembering that some of them will be known now, and some of them will be not yet. And secondly, I think they talk about circumstances and choices, circumstances choices last week we were uh, coming home we were at the end of our holiday together as a family we were we arrived at the airport to find out that our flight had been delayed um, as time went on, it was it was an initial one hour delay, so no panic, and um, we've all been there, haven't we? Um, but that one hour delay turned in eventually to eleven hours of waiting in the airport in the same tiny airport. Um, Jersey airport is not does not function the same apparently as many other airports, you know. So we're in this tiny little airport departure lounge with two small children, and it led to extra fun so much so that actually after a while we were like. You know, Micah was just one year, you know, one year old. He's just needing his own space. Genuinely, we went to the chapel, okay, in the airport. 15 minutes, It was brilliant. It was 15 minutes of gold, okay. And we weren't praying. Well, we were praying that we would get home. But it was just, you know, Micah was able to just crawl about and walk about and lift things, like lift Bibles until someone else came in. And we were like, we better get out of here. Um, but we were bored and we were tired and we were anxious about getting home, whether we would genuinely get home that night or not. But after a while, we realised that we couldn't do anything about our circumstances. Our circumstances were that we were waiting on a plane to come from Belfast, and because of the deluge of rain last last uh, Saturday, and we the flight could not leave Belfast for several hours, and so we were waiting there. You know. I, Last time I checked, I'm not able to control the rain and I'm not able to kind of control planes or anything like that. So after a while, we just looked at each other and we're like, we can't control these circumstances, but we can control our choices or we can control how we deal with this situation. It's a pretty trivial example, really, although it felt pretty serious at the time. But it was 10 hours or 11 hours of wait at an airport and we got home and it was fine. But as we wait for the kingdom of God to be unfolded in full, I think it's a picture for us. We are called to be ambassadors of Jesus' future kingdom while we wait. We can't control some of the circumstances of the kingdom of God. It's not in our power. It's not in our ability. It's not even in our authority. But we can deal with or think about our choices as we wait. And so that's the other angle of this manifesto. Jesus is coming to his followers and he's saying, here are some choices you can make. Here are some ways you can live. Here are some actions you can adopt. Here are some characteristics that you can uh, pick up. Here are some words that you might want to speak. Here are some things you might want to pick up. Here are some choices you can make. And so, I want to challenge us today to think about the not not necessarily all the circumstances that fill our lives, but about the choices we are making as we live our lives. You know, things like mourning and suffering and persecution. I'm pretty sure are not ever or rarely choices that we would ever make for ourselves. But they either are, have been, or will be circumstances that we will inherit in our lives in some ways. And, you know, I think sometimes we need to be reminded as Christians, we should expect trouble. We should expect trouble. As Christians, you know, tough circumstances aren't just, they're not just possibilities, they are promises. Yet somewhere along the line, I think some Christians have believed the lie. And the lie is that because I follow Jesus, it means I'll never get shaken you know what the most tweeted, shared, or highlighted verse in the whole of the Bible app is? It's Jeremiah 29 11. And it's the verse that I got sent to me uh, in a text message when my granny died. And it's also uh, a text message I received on the day before my A-level exams, which was very good because I hadn't done very much revision. And the reason it was good because I discovered as I read that verse was that for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I read that and I thought, brilliant, I don't need to do any more revision. And uh, that didn't go so well. But here's the thing, what we do with that verse is, and it's true, okay, it's, it's God's truth to his people at that time, in that context. It was absolutely true, but it wasn't necessarily about not having any trouble, okay. It was actually written to people who were um, in the middle of exile, Okay, and God was saying, I have a hope for you. I have a future for you. And the hope that he was talking about, they wouldn't discover that today or that very day. It was a future hope that he was talking about. And so what we've done with Jeremiah 29-11 is we've put like it on fridge magnets or posters with kittens on them and sold it in the faith mission. And then we've like put it up and said, don't worry, your life's going to be fine because you follow Jesus. God's got good plans for you and we smile. You know, for years as a youth worker, I heard things from teenagers that made me wonder about what they really understood about God. I used to believe in God, Rick, but then my granny died. Or I used to think God was real, but then I got depressed. Or I used to be a Christian, but if God really loved me, he wouldn't have let me go through those hard times. Because what if I get sent that text message and then I fail my exam? (laughs) What's going to happen then? Because I'm going to either believe that God doesn't have good plans for me or that his word isn't true or that he doesn't exist at all. You see, I'm slightly concerned that we gift grab the gospel so much that we've missed what it means to walk it out. See these words that are coming up in the manifesto in the next few weeks? They're full of the cost of following Jesus and not just the reward. And that's the interesting thing of these Beatitudes. Some of them, there's a cost. But in all of them, there's a future reward. Okay, The cost of persecution. The cost of even meekness. We'll talk about that a whole lot. The cost of not elevating yourself to the highest position, but choosing gentleness as an approach. It's hard in our culture and in our society. The cost of being poor in spirit, the cost of mourning, there's a cost, but there's a reward. But the reward is a future reward that is promised us. And our challenge is not just our circumstances, but our challenge is the choices we make in our circumstances, no matter what they may be. Some of the people in my Christian life, Sorry, in my life, some of the people who have taught me the most about about Christian faith have been people who have been journeying through the midst of tough circumstances like what is written here today. But they have shown me what it looks like to make choices that continue to follow Jesus in the midst of the mess or the pain, the suffering or the persecution, whatever it is, and to put him first even when they're not sure. If you're experiencing or about to experience or in the future experience mourning or suffering or persecution please don't hear it's not because god doesn't like you it's not because you've done something to annoy him although we may have but it's because they are present and certain realities of life on earth we don't get to choose our circumstances but we get to determine our choices and the choices he encourages are meekness over power Poverty of spirit rather than completeness and strength and having it all together. Purity of heart rather than sinful desire. He encourages mercy and righteousness rather than judgment and arrogance. Let's focus on the choices we have to make and not just the circumstances that happen. What if what if we as a people, as individuals and as a church focused more on the choices we're making in our characters? What choices will you make now that will define your next 30 years? Who will you be? Will you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Will you choose meekness over power? Will you offer mercy over judgment? Jesus' words impact our choices and our circumstances. One last thing um, before I'm done today. If I can find it. Here. um manifestos, often people here, cynical people, they're right. They're not worth the, pap- the paper they're written on, you know, and these politicians, and we're hearing about it in our news at the minute, aren't we? You know, certain pledges were made and put on buses, and, and all sorts of things, and, you know, they, they're, they're, they don't seem to be true. They don't seem to have come true yet, and we're not sure what really to believe, and we're not sure what to think, and we kind of have Maybe the danger is that we adopt a cynical attitude towards every politician or every political party or every manifesto or election pledge or or anything out of public figures' mouths. I'm not sure, this is a side comment, I'm not sure if Jesus wants us to live that way or be totally cynical about everything that we hear. But the reality is that all of these human manifestos from any political party, from the left to the right, the orange to the green and everything in between, every single one of them, none of those words can be truly trusted. None of those words truly represent the kingdom of God. None of those words um, truly show us, will come true, no matter who gets in power. None of their pledges will, sorry, all of their pledges won't come true. But as we read this manifesto, and I want to challenge you as a response today to read it before we dive into it as a church over the next few weeks. It's three chapters, okay, three chapters of, a, uh, of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And maybe as a response today or this week, you might want to begin to familiarize yourself with these words. But as you read this, this is a manifesto, and particularly these words where there's eight promises given, this is, these are pledges that will come true. Every single one of these promises will be honored. Every word of these Beatitudes can be trusted. Every pledge will come true. Uh, And you know the amazing thing is that we get to play our part. We get to play our part in its unfolding. They're going to happen anyway. But Jesus, through this sermon and through many of his other words as well, and through relationship with him, invites us to play our part He invites us to play our part in comforting those who are mourning. He invites us to play our part in showing meekness to the world rather than power. He invites us to actually step in and become the answer to some of these in part that we will one day see in full. And so as I pray today, I'm going to use these words again. But this time I'm going to use the message translation um, because it just puts it in a bit of a fresh language for us and in a different way. Uh, and, and I would love you to think about which of these circumstances you are facing, or else, if not, which of these choices you want to adopt. Some of them are circumstances, some of them are choices. Uh, and maybe you might, as, as we respond today, to think about to, uh, to try to ask God and to invite God into the midst of some of these choices and circumstances and to invite him to inhabit them for you as you do. And then we're going to respond by singing together as well. So maybe you want to close your eyes as I read this, these words today. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you there... Sorry, with less of you, there is more of God and more of his rule in your life. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more and no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you will ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself being cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed... When you can show people how to cooperate instead of competing or fighting, that's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, but count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. So give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. Know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble.